listening to Rumination Thursday, Law and Gospel on this May the 20th in the year of our Lord 2021. And on a Rumination Thursday, we have myself, Pastor Tom Baker, and we have our co-host, Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. Boy, am I glad we got Reformation principles. Principles? You mean people who are heading up schools? <laughs> Those famous loans that we, we so often talk about in the Reformation. Yes, great I understand alone, what you're talking alone. about. Yeah, word alone, Christ alone. Now, yeah, word what, what does that got to do with uh, Rumination Thursday? Well, we discuss uh, some things together, and we're going to take a look at Pentecost. And one of them is the word alone. We're going to take a look there in, in Acts chapter 2. And uh, Yeah, what I know, want to do is something different, though, okay. um, that we had talked about uh, previously. Yesterday, I was talking about Dr. James Veltz's wonderful discussions of how you interpret the Bible. It's called hermeneutics. And he talks about a level one, a level two, a level two and a level three. And I find that a lot of sermons I hear, they may get out of level one, but they don't hardly get to level two, and they rarely get to level three. So we want to talk about that. Uh, what level one is, is simply looking at the marks on the page. That's the words and the punctuation. And level two talks about their true meaning. And in my understanding, level three, therefore, is where you go into pragmatics and you use the emotions of the individual in order to make specific points. For, for example, we talked about this in music yesterday, that some of the best melodies during a song will go up a little bit in the voice. Uh, not, not the voice of the person singing, but into a different key. And I was surprised how many good composers do that. And that sheds a different understanding on the person when you hear the key go up. So what we want to look at is Pentecost, and take a look at the words, first of all, to see whether or not the people can be confused with this. And I, I think they can uh, a number of times because um, it talks about speaking in tongues. That, that'd be level one. What do most people think that means? It means that they can speak in a what we call a, a babel. I, I call it uh, the Pentecostals, glossolalia. Um, it uh, yes. is kind of a gibberish. Yeah, it's an angelic kind of speaking that nobody understands. I've been at these churches. And that's how they say a person comes to faith. So they put a lot of pressure on a new member to speak in these gibberish tongues. 
and then they have an interpreter there. And it's kind of interesting that the same gibberish can be interpreted differently. Uh, I've heard that done, uh, which makes no sense at all. So when people say at Pentecost they speak in tongues, they can get the word misunderstood, thinking it's some a language that the angels speak that God gives you and is actually the way that a person is saved. So the first level is what do tongues in the Pentecost story actually mean? Well, they, they really were speaking in known languages. In fact, the uh, people that were listening saying, how is it that these men of Galilee speak in the language of that, that is from our homeland, like the Parthians, uh, Cappadocia, various various parts of the the known world at that time. So that would be the first level that a pastor should explain what the words on the page of the Bible actually do mean, because a lot of times the English, uh, I'll tell you, like. We talk about we need to love one another, but the Greek has different words for love, and one of them could be eros, which is eroticism. We sure don't want to think that when John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, that he uses the word eros, he uses the word agape, and what's the difference between the two? Well, uh, Gape is a sacrificing love, yes. and we see that especially in Christ. Uh, Eros is erratic. It's, it's, it's kind of a physical-type attraction to one another. Yes, and often sinful. Um, so we would say that when certain gay people talk about their loving each other, they're really having an erotic love, not an agape love at all because they're going against the will of God. So that's why it's really important to understand what the original Greek and Hebrew, that word really means. That's the first well, level. Yeah. I mean, as we talk about these languages, it was the day of Pentecost. And of course, uh, the Jews were, were bringing their various offerings from the fields for, for blessing and sacrifice. But it, wouldn't it also be something that we recognize that the language of the temple was Hebrew and not, not various languages? Right. But the and, disciples spoke in these known foreign languages. Right. It's it's God's way of opening it up that it's it's more than just one language and, and uh, one people, that it's, it's many people that God is reaching out to. So this is an important part. We now have the word, namely language. We now have the meaning, known foreign languages. Now, you were talking about the third level. What is the application for the person in the pew when they hear about this? And you just kind of mentioned it. Well, 
that uh, it's, it's a language, languages of many people that uh, God is reaching out to every, every tongue, every tribe, every nation in the land. And so how does that impact people in the congregation? Because they're not living at the time of the Pentecost. Well, I'm not sure I'm catching you on that. Yeah, well, for example, I'm working with four congregations. I don't think I have one Jew among all four. What do I have? Gentiles. Now, see, that's really level three, where you're talking about the application to the person in the pew that uh, because of these languages that went even to the Gentiles, they even mentioned them as Arabs and Medes and Parthians uh, from Mesopotamia and Cappadocia, Pampas and Asia. Well, well the, these were not Jews, but it really showed that God, and, and you said this, desires people of all stripes to be part of his kingdom. And the example I would use to back that up, and you can explain it, what was that vision that Peter saw on a roof? Oh, he saw that um, the, the many uh, foods and animals were, were declared clean by God. Yes, they were unclean from the point of view of Jews not supposed to be eating them. But when God said to Peter, eat what I have declared clean, do not be considered unclean. And then he met with Cornelius, who was obviously a Gentile, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And see, this is how you would tie this into Pentecost, because what's the big event that occurs at Pentecost? Oh, well, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. And do you recall how many people were baptized that day? What was it 3,000, 5,000? I think it was 6,000. 6,000. I get that mixed up because later on, there are 10,000 people that come to faith after the uh, apostles are preaching in another location. So the church is growing like crazy. And... What you do in a sermon is you, first of all, get rid of the wrong understanding of words that the people may have. That's my first task when I go through a sermon. I take a look and try and figure out a phrase or something that seems to contradict Lutheran theology. It never really does, but in the people's mind, it does. For example, in Mark 10, what does Jesus say to the rich man in order for him to be saved? <laughs> Sell everything you you have and follow me. Exactly. Give it to the poor. And that doesn't make any sense because the man would be saved by his works. But from a law gospel perspective, Jesus says that because he's making a very simple point that nobody can be saved by your works uh, even if you were able to do that, which you're not able to do because of his love of money. And that man goes away and the disciples wonder, well, if he can't be saved, who gives money to the synagogue and attends services all the time, who then can be saved? 
And Jesus says, with men, it is impossible. Possible. Well, what do you do with Zacchaeus then? Jesus tells Zacchaeus to come down from the tree for he must stay at his house. And Zacchaeus responds, you know, if I've uh, cheated anyone out of anything, I give half of everything away. And if I cheated anyone out of anything, I give back to him four times as much. Now, why does Zacchaeus say that? I say... Jesus, is that part uh, of his becoming saved? No, I say it's part of his uh, response to to coming. Excellent, to excellent. Which we call sanctification. Sanctification. And right. the reason he's willing to do that is because upon hearing Jesus, guess what? He was justified, and hearing that message gave him such joy that he was able to lead a sanctified life, giving back money that he had kind of stolen from people, etc. And, and that's Jesus how Christianity him. works. And that's and Jesus made the remark that he too was a son of Abraham. And exactly. we go back into Genesis where Abraham believed and God credited to him as righteousness. Now see, there's another way that you really gotta explain son of Abraham. Because the Jews were talking to Jesus, and they said, you know, we were not born out of wedlock like you were. We were born from Abraham. And so we are the children of Abraham. And Jesus says, well, if we were just looking for children of Abraham, these stones could be made into children. So what is the two understandings of son of Abraham? Well, one, they... they saw themselves as blood relatives, yes. descendants of Abraham. And the other one is, of course, this, uh, those that believe God credits them as righteousness. They were believers like Isaac. That's what Isaac, Romans 9 yeah. says, that they believe the promises. So there's that's another thing that a uh, good example that you brought up. Just because you hear son of Abraham doesn't mean you're a believer. You're only a proper son of Abraham if you believe in the promises of the gospel. You know, there's another place that we do this in our liturgy. After we have communion, we do the Noctuminus, the Song of Simeon. You know, uh, let your servants go in peace, for they have been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you prepared in the sight of every people a light to reveal to all the nations and the glory of the people of Israel. So Simeon saw it too, that it was a worldwide yes. salvation. And, and see, when you talk about people in the pew who are really concerned about the virus and then they may have personal problems, they, can, can you imagine being a waitress today? It's really hard to find a job because so many restaurants have closed and it's just really tough even to go to church. Uh, our, my home church, for example, you had to register ahead of time because they were only allowing so many in the sanctuary. And mm. that really can be a problem. Um, but when we talk about the scripture, we find as a pastor what part of these three readings are not clear. 
Now, did you run into anything about uh, other people talking about the Pentecost that they made errors in thinking about what was happening? It's all over the place. Uh, There's this uh, uh, movement called Progressive Christians, and uh, they they talk about a spirit of oneness out there, and or a divine spirit. And that divine spirit can take many forms in the teachings of Jesus to to Buddha to you name it out there. So they don't minimize. In fact, believe it or not, uh, we had some people working at our house yesterday, and I was sitting down. We had a little break, and I said, I don't know if you realize I'm a pastor of the Lutheran Church, and this person was a Roman Catholic. And I said, yeah, there's a kind of a difference between us. I believe you're a Christian because you believe in Jesus Christ, right? Yes. And I said, but do you also believe that your works are going to make a difference whether you go to heaven or hell? And he said, yes. And I said, no, in in the Bible, your works make no difference at all. What God is looking for is your faith and trust in Jesus. And we call that the gospel. Do you have that faith and trust that Jesus died for your sins? And he said, yes. And I said, then why do you think your works are necessary? And you could just see his eyes opening up because he had never really heard it that way before. So that's, again, going from level one, namely salvation, explaining how it really occurs, and then at level three, applying it to him. And he got emotionally, how shall I put it, very positive about that. He's going to be thinking about that now as he returns to his Roman Catholic services. And I think that makes a a great importance there because these progressives talk about following the the teachings of Jesus and, and they strive for peace and they strive to protect and restore you know, the dignity of the earth, it's all work righteousness that they're there. I, I just don't find anything in, in the stuff that I was reading that talked about sacrifice of what Christ has done upon the cross or that it is the Holy Spirit that brings us to faith. That's a really good point because what we're talking about is we are to follow Jesus, but that can be misunderstood in thinking that that's how you are saved. But that's not what is meant by that. That's really talking about a life of sanctification, as you said, in response to being saved. And so we encourage people to live a sanctified life, but not for the purpose of giving them assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation is found in their trust in Jesus Christ, and but specifically in their having become baptized where the promise of God is attached to them. Now, how do we fit in uh, the Corinthians passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where Paul's talking about uh, speaking in tongues? Yes. Remember, he says, I'm able to speak in tongues more than anybody, but... I'm not going to do that because I'll go into a church, speak in a different tongue. For example, you and I could go into the pulpit and, or in the lecture 
uh, when, you, when you're reading the readings, lectern, and guess what? Read it from the Greek. How many of your people mm. will understand what you're saying? <laughs> Not a single one. Yeah, I've got some who know some of the Greek there. And in my own congregation for 28 years, I had five professors. So they would have understood it. And that's what Paul is saying. I have the ability to speak in tongues. And he was able to speak in other languages. Well, for example, when he talked about the unknown God, uh, he was speaking in a language that they understood. He said, you know, that unknown God you're talking about, See, that, that's level one. It's unknown God. Then he gives the meaning to the unknown God. Namely, that's the God you set up to take, the, uh, to take care of all of the other things that your known gods you worship don't take care of. And then you move to level three, where you talk about that the unknown God is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And he gives a sermon on that, and people come to faith. Well, it sounds like, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, that level one and level two you often talk about the, the law and bringing people to the knowledge of their sin or sinfulness or lack of Christ in their life. And the gospel is the good news that, that, that frees them up. Yeah, I've often said in hearing sermons that a lot of time all they are are repeat lectures of professors at the seminary. And they need mm. to understand that a lecture isn't a sermon because it explains a word, gives the meaning to the word, but a lot of times it doesn't move to that last step three phase where you're touching the emotions of a person showing, this is how this passage relates to you personally. And so on Pentecost, we're going to be able to tell them that what happened at, in Acts chapter 2 also happened to you at your baptism. And therefore, you are assured of your salvation as much as they were. And that's the good news, you know, being able to point to people that, that our works are, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags, and that in baptism, God closes us with Christ's righteousness, and we are made righteous through the blood of Christ, and that's the water that's uh, in our holy baptism that cleanses us from all sin because of the word connected with it. Now, level one and two can talk about gospel things. For example, mm. level one would talk about that Jesus died on the cross. And, uh, for example, uh, 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 some of the Bible passages, Jesus says, and I will be killed. A good sermon will show that that's not what he said. He said he will die because nobody kills Jesus on the cross he allows himself to die. He does it. The centurion is astonished, thinking that he must be the son of God because he has power over life and death. And he permits himself to die at the point when all of the prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled. Because if he had not thirsted, you and I would be going to hell. So you can explain that, but it still isn't at level three what difference does that make to me? 
And that comes out when Jesus says another set of words from the cross. It is finished. Yes. And that's where you talk about the importance that he did not get killed. He died willingly for us, fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies so that now when he says, Father, forgive them, we are no longer held accountable for our sin. Hmm. Well, as we talk about the three levels, we also talk about historic faith and saving faith. Historic faith is just a level one. Saving faith is all three levels. Well, that's a very good point. Historic faith simply, and this is where a lot of false theologians are talking about, they don't believe the history of the Bible anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, we're going to be talking next week, I believe, about a theologian who says that Mary became pregnant, not because of the Holy Spirit, but because a Roman soldier attacked her and she became pregnant. We'll, we'll deal with that next week. So that's also important. But we're at the end of the time. That went by pretty fast. Wow. <laughs> and so... Uh, I hope you hear a sermon which gets to level three. And at level three, when you hear that good news of the gospel, it affects you emotionally and you have a joy and an assurance that takes place. So thanks so very much for helping us go through Pentecost. And we'll be tomorrow taking a look at Ask the Pastor. You may ask me a question about this. We'll probably be talking about it. So email me at lawngospel at lawngospel101.com. I'm Tom Baker, and Wes Rhineness, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.